Hey, agency owners, it's time for a new episode of the Agency Blueprint, the number one podcast for agency owners looking to discover strategies for scaling an agency to seven figures and beyond, while reducing stress and getting your personal life back. I'm your host, Robert Patton, international bestselling author, agency scale partner, and founder of Creative Agency Success. Before we get started today, I'd like to send you a copy of our brand new book, The Practical Agency, written specifically to help creative agency owners go beyond the creative side and build systems to simplify and quickly scale their agency to $100,000 a month. Go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash practical agency to claim your free copy. And now for the show. All right. Today we are going to be talking with Jane Baylor. Jane is the smart connector, a passionate serial entrepreneur whose career began in the exciting world of London media and entertainment. After developing campaigns for global brands such as Coca-Cola, British Airways, and Discovery Networks, Jane scaled a brand identity business from £1 million to £6 million and sold it to a U.S. communications group, Interpublic. Today, Jane helps experts who are not expert marketers build relevant, compelling brands that attract their dream clients and help them make an impact in the world. Welcome to the show, Jane. It's great to be here, Robert. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited for our conversation. Likewise. So I know that you built your agency to that six million pound number, approximately 7.5 million USD, and then you sold it. I'd, I'd love to really dive into your story today you want to give me just a little bit of background about where you've been and, and where, yeah. you're, where you're from and all of that? Yeah, sure, sure. So I actually started out as a creative. So I was an art director and a designer and I was working in film and TV and also I did a bit of theatre. So I did that as a freelancer for about four years. And then I started getting interested in the marketing side of things and Particularly when I was working on a feature film, I, I saw how they were marketing that and I thought, you know what, I don't really want to be doing this freelance gig for that much longer. I want to get, I want to go into a, a company and actually experience what it's like to be employed. So maybe I went and did it the other way around to some people. But anyway, that's what I did. So I ended up working, first of all, for a publishing company for a few months. Then I kind of jumped ship into a television facilities company, an editing company. And very quickly from there, I moved into a global advertising agency called Young and Rubicum. I just needed to kind of get a little bit of experience under my belt. But obviously, I already had a lot of connections in London media and entertainment. I had that background where I'd you know, done quite a lot of interesting creative work, work with some interesting people. And that really helped me jump ship quite quickly. So I ended up in this advertising agency, big global advertising agency, and it was a fantastic experience. I actually really loved it. I just, I just came at the right time. But what actually happened is they lost about four accounts in succession and like many people, the agency world can be a little bit unstable. I, it was fantastic to begin with. And then it was like, oh, this is just everybody's really sad and all these people are exiting. And, you know, it's just a bit boom bust. So at that particular time, I was approached by somebody who had a design agency in London. And he knew that I'd been doing business development and account management. And obviously, he knew about my design background as well. And he said, look... I've got this design agency and 
My partner's run off to the US. He's run off to this company in New York. We've had a horrific falling out. I had to spend a load of money on legal fees. I've taken my eye off the ball. Really, the agency isn't doing that well. And, I, and I'm, I'm lost. I don't really know what to do. Can you come and help me? Mm. So I said, yes. Obviously, it wasn't a straightforward decision because he... I'd imagine. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. But he said, look, if you come and help me, I'm going to give you shares in the company. You're going to be managing director. I'm going to give you a fantastic profit share, like 25% of profits if you hit these targets. And basically, I want to sell it. You know, I am ready for this. So if you help me build it up to the point where we can sell it, then you could have a piece of the action and a big piece of the action in the short term. You know, you, I'll, I'll pay you really well and you can have this really magnificent profit share and, you know, 5% of the business for every year that goes by. So I kind of knew that the company had actually done some fantastic work and I saw that what was really needed was a repositioning exercise and I knew that it was really, really underperforming. So I think I, I thought, okay, right, I'll come in. And then my, my plan was like, okay, I'll maybe stay for five years, grow it up to something, you know, huge and exit rich. And that's going to be absolutely yeah. fantastic because then I'm going to obviously do what a lot of agency owners want to do, which is go and have a wonderful time for a few years and spend all that money and all of that. And the way that it worked out was it did kind of happen, but it happened a lot sooner than I thought it was going to because we just threw everything at it and then it just grew really fast and it got sold really within about two and a half years from me joining. Wow. So it was good in some ways. In fact, it was good. It was great. But had I stayed for longer, I guess, you know, the, the agency would have been a lot bigger and the exit would have been a lot a lot more spectacular, let's just say. But, you know, it was sure. kind of driven by him because it wasn't fundamentally the, the majority ownership was with him. But sure. it's still a still a great story. And how we did it is yeah, interesting. Well, you know, that sounds like there's so many things I imagine happened during that two year time frame and quite a success story, really to go from that 1 million to 6 million and then exit in that two, two and a half year period of time. Yeah. You, you you mentioned that one of the big components of it when you first started was that repositioning of the agency. We, we talk about that on the podcast quite a lot. And I talk about that with my clients all the yeah. time and making sure you're positioned really well. And a lot of agencies kind of, you know, cobbler's kids has no shoes or shoemaker's kids has no shoes kind of situation where the agencies brand and positioning and messaging is lacking when they're working on that with clients every day. What what was that exercise like for you with the agency and what types of things were you looking at when you repositioned and did you specialize and how exactly did you end up positioning that agency? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a really, really critical part of it because as we all know, for agencies, perception is everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, Unfortunately, having been in that agency world, I, I knew a lot of really fantastic agencies and, and very senior people within those agencies in London. Very, very creative people and very smart people. And I remember asking one of the most creative agencies in London, or at least that was a perception at the time, and I was, I was talking to them and, and I said, look, why is it, how, how do you manage to be these people that everybody thinks you are just so cool and so creative. I said, how do you manage to, to do that? 
And they said, well, you know what, we just, we work for a lot of different brands. We have a lot of different clients, but we just really focus on, we, we promote the ones that are the really cool ones. So probably that's about one or two of our clients out of every 20, let's just say. We do all sure. the other work, but we just keep quiet about it, you see. And we, we just throw everything at these particular brands. And of mm. course, the brands that you work with and the campaigns that you do in agencies, they are obviously that's where the reputation comes from. Sure. So I kind of learned from them and I thought, right, okay, so what has the business done that is going to be going to take take it to the next level? And there was only really one case study. So at the time they were doing a lot of moving image work. So mm. not not so much the graphic design, but lots of kind of television title sequences mm. and some commercials and that type of thing. But they weren't really doing the the big money work at the time was the television brand identity camp, the corporate identity campaigns. And those were the high value pieces of work, particularly yeah. when you were working for like really, you know, big international brands. So I said, okay, right, we can we can do this because we've got one really old case study that can be leveraged. So we can, we're just going to talk about this. We're just going to talk about, about television corporate identity and just position ourselves in that particular niche as specialists in this area and refer to this one really old case study <laughs> for social proof. And yeah, of course. yeah, to cut a long story short, that just going on and on and on about this work really had the impact. I mean, there were other things that we did as well, but that that was the thing. It was what we talked about and we talked about it a lot. And we actually hired a PR agency and we spent some money and we hired a yacht in Cannes. That was fairly pivotal. So we went mm. and you showed off at the Cannes Television Film Festival and things like that. And we showed up in the right places and talked to the right people and got the right people on the boat. And you know, so it was, it kind of had a, it was like, like a row of dominoes, really. We just had to kind of knock them all down in order to get to the prize. So you have mentioned a, a couple of pieces that I think are really important. It sounded like you guys decided to go enterprise brands oriented size in the direction you went. The, one of the things that I talk about with clients all the time that sounds like you guys recognized and that you recognized is that, 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 that muddied kind of situation, right? Where the other agency was advising you of like, hey, you're going to pick the one or two out of the 20 that you're working on. And what I see happen on loads of agency sites is that you're not really sure exactly what they do because everything and everything under the sun is actually listed on their site, either in actual physically just bullet pointed of every single thing that they've worked on. And then in the case studies as well, it's like, well, what actually do you guys do? And it's very difficult for someone landing on the website to figure that out. The case study that you you built upon it sounded like you really leveraged PR, which is incredibly vital in in my opinion. I was curious to know whether the case study that you that you did leverage at the very beginning, whether it had a lot of numbers behind it, you know, reach for that campaign, what kind of revenue it brought in, how much lift it had for the brand, what what kind of metrics were you able to actually put forth, and was that important for that? that yeah. Case study? Um... So that actually wasn't really so important. It was actually for ITV, which is a very big 
company. It's the it's the main commercial broadcaster here in the UK. So what we did because it's the main rival to the BBC, which is the obviously the the state broadcaster. So I suppose a bit like PBS in 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 the US, right? So ITV was a, a name that everybody knew. And I think because people knew that London was the centre of creative excellence and they knew that ITV was the the main commercial broadcaster here in the UK and a very, very big name and a very powerful organisation, it enabled us to really go after the, the, the commercial, the number one commercial broadcasters in every country in Europe. And that's basically what we did. So it was really more that we were leveraging their brand and their reputation. And so really the metrics didn't come into it because I think that was enough really at the time. People were just, yeah, I don't know. It was just that was that was good enough to get us through the door. And then once we got through the door, we had to obviously build the relationships, but a lot of it came down to the well, two things really. Obviously, the caliber of the creative work was extremely important because it just is with with agencies, and the the creative work was very, very, very good. And the other thing was really how strong a presenter you are, and how how good you are at developing those relationships. And we were good at both. So you have to be good at both because some of these projects, they were the, you know, they were usually between, say, 250 to a million mm. once you actually landed one of these projects. So they, they were quite, you know, decent sized Substantial. projects and, and you don't really, you, you can't really win that type of work unless you've, you've really got your act together, let's just say. Sure. I think it's kind of interesting and funny, right? Whereas that you have to both sell the the project and sell the account, and then you actually have to sell the creative afterwards as well to get them excited about it once you've presented it as well. So yeah. being a phenomenal presenter is so incredibly important. Yeah, it's not easy to sell creative work. It really isn't. It's, I mean, I've seen, I've been very, very privileged to work very, very closely with some of the what I consider to be the best creative directors in the world. I've seen them up close do their stuff. And it's pure showmanship. That's all I can say. Mm. I mean, it really is. It is a performance, definitely. And the very, very best performers in these, you know, top agencies, they're just some of the most articulate, persuasive, charismatic people in the world. And I'm not saying that we we were, but, you know, the more you are like that, the easier it is to sell agency work, for sure, for sure. I 100% agree with you on all of that. The The thing that I would, would be curious about, and as managing director of that agency and having grown so rapidly, really, six times the size in a very short period of time, what was it like from a team scale perspective and maintaining quality of work and all of that? How was that managed and what was your experience, kind of do's and don'ts of that experience for you? Yeah, well, I have to say that I think it was quite challenging for our team, particularly the creatives, because they gravitated towards the business in the first place because they wanted to do those small, exciting, fun projects like those little title sequences and stings and commercials. They loved the variety of that. 
So they wanted to do that really interesting and varied creative work. And when we started focusing on the corporate identities, they were much, obviously much bigger pieces of work and it turned into more of a cookie cutter thing so that it was like, okay, now we have to start creating volume and your job now is to create, you know, 10 versions of this, of this logo, 10 of these things, you know, just different, different variations on the same thing. So some of them weren't really very happy with that because mm. the scope for their for them to flex their creative muscle, let's say, had reduced and it mm. became more like a factory. It really did. So it was quite hard, I really think, in hindsight, to actually manage. You know, there's some ripples of discontent around that. It's always hard to manage creatives because, you know, creative people, they just want to be you know, given rain, free rain to do their thing, really. And and the more free rain they're given, the happier they generally tend to be. Whereas the more boxed in, the less fulfilled they're going to be. And that is always a challenge, I think, when you're managing, you know, creatives. I think that's super interesting because I hear that feedback all the time. But I always challenge creatives when they take that position because, I mean, all of my clients, creative agency owners, they the vast majority of them, not all of them, the vast majority of them were creatives or are creatives, right? And that is something I hear all the time is that, you know, I like the variety and, you know, my opinion of it and the way that I position it to them is that actually needing to be creative and inventive within the box is actually much harder than when you just give yourself a complete white canvas and you can do anything and you can go anywhere. It's like, it's easier to be creative with no constraints. I mean, there's also the the other side of it too, right? Where you can have too much rope and it can be a bit of a problem on the creative end as well. But I, I think largely the more that you are in that box, the more that you have to be creative within a spe specified space is where really your creativity can shine. And I think that a lot of creatives take the easy way out by wanting to have that variety so that they can have an easier job rather than actually being truly inventive in that box. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that you're right, but you also probably know that creatives are very stubborn. They, they're usually very stubborn people. They've got their own mind. They've got their own uh, minds and their own thoughts about, about Not just creatives. I'm stubborn as well, but <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's a bit, bit like a bunch of unruly children really. And it's, it's fine. You know, I completely understand. And having been, you know, having obviously done that role myself, I kind of bridged the gap between creative and sales and obviously, you know, the client liaison. And so I, I can see it from both sides. I was sympathetic to them, but it was a challenge. And then the other thing, of course, is when you get rapid growth, then you're adding team members very fast. And that is also difficult because you know, I think it's the same for all fast growth businesses that you're just kind of really managing the onslaught. And actually, in terms of putting the right systems in place and onboarding people in the right way and checking that everybody's, you know, everybody's on the same page and, you know, really taking care of people in the very best way possible. I think that that does go out of the window when you know, the growth gets kind of really aggressive, no let's say. Happened. And I think yeah. that happened a little bit as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a natural component of that rapid of growth, right? To have grown that much. And I, I mean, I would say that I see the same happen in my clients that are growing, you know, five, six, seven, 10 X in a short period of time. 
you know, I think it would be interesting for us to talk a little bit about the actual sale. How did the the sale come about? Were you working with a broker? What did that deal kind of look like? And was there an earnout? And what did it look like both before and after the sale? Yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting story. And of course, I've always got to be careful what I say because you know when sure. you when you sign these NDAs, mm-hmm. well, you know I wouldn't wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of uh, their sure. legal team. Let's just say. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So really the guy that brought me in was obviously the, was the main creative director as well as the CEO of the business. He didn't want to have anything to do with actually managing the sale, any of the business side of things. He just wanted to really get on with the work, lead the team, lead the creative project. So that was what he did. And I was the person that was tasked with liaising with everybody, which meant the the business broker, we also had a, I suppose, a consultancy that we were working alongside that was doing a lot of the numbers stuff. Uh, because obviously, when you're selling to a, you know, big communications group, that is very, very extensive. The due diligence mm-hmm. is, it, you know, yes. it's not something that can be done in-house, really isn't. So, I mean, that process went on for quite a long time and at varying different kind of layers. More and more intrusive over time. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. We had a lot of interest because, you know, because obviously we had the numbers to to back this up. And, you know, we're also a very interesting business. We'd done some, you know, some unusual work and we were quite niched being a television agency. So, you know, it was all looking good and we had a lot of lot of interest. We had uh, sort of two or three of the big communications group that groups that were interested, international communications group that wanted to buy us. We had other buyers as well, and we were just kind of evaluating all the different deals. And in the end, well, it was obviously my CEO's decision to go with Interpublic, not because they actually offered us the most money, because they didn't, but because he felt that we would be in safe hands because he felt Mm. that, you know, the, the company... You know, they obviously had a lot of creative agencies already, so it wasn't just a financial purchase. They were looking to position us within the group. And I think he felt that that was the right decision at the time. So basically, you know, we we had a big cash payout. We had some of it was in shares, but uh, I saw other companies at the time sell out to, you know, sort of tech businesses and they were paid in shares, which kind of looked fantastic on paper, but actually... You know, when the bubble burst, then it wasn't mm-hmm. looking so good and they basically disposed of their company for nothing. So, you know, we didn't want to do that. So we, we it was basically a cash transaction, a lot of money, you know, millions, millions changed hands, which was fantastic. And, you know, I will always treasure those memories of actually signing those share certificates and all the champagne and the, oh, that was just amazing. So anyway, that was all that, the happy, happy bit. And then after that, we were on an earn out. So at that point, I was like, do you know what? I honestly didn't think that my boss was 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 interested because I think he really decided at that point, you know what, I, I'm set up for the rest of my life. I want to retire. You know, he always mm-hmm. talked about going to, you know, sculpt in his shed and, and things like that at the bottom of the garden and and I thought, well, I can't really do this. I can't carry him, but, you know, we'll we'll do our best. Mm. But, you know, we had been given these very, very, very aggressive targets. And it was 
everybody else that was bought out by the company had the same. And we had to go and have these meetings, which we had to fund. So we were all expected to go and, you know, meet with other agencies in other parts of Europe. So, you know, once a month or whatever, we had to, you know, get on a plane and go to Oslo and or go to Rome and, you know, just just the whole thing was like team bonding. But also mm. the idea was was to kind of, you know, create business together. And it didn't yeah. really work, to be fair, mm. <laughs> because everybody was on such an aggressive earnout that nobody wanted to give any business to anybody else. It didn't even matter if it was the same kind of business that they did, but we didn't do, if you know what I mean. We just needed every single bit of business in order to get these hit these targets. So that was a challenging, very, very challenging time. And I would say that, yeah, I mean, as I said, I I can't say too much, but actually managing the process of these mergers and acquisitions, it has to be, it has to be done properly. And if it doesn't, yeah. and if you're just kind of instructed to go and go here and go there and do this and do that and make the money here and make the money there, which I feel, unfortunately, was was more or less what was happening. It's an uncomfortable situation, I think, for a lot of people. So I don't really feel as though, yeah, I don't really feel as though that, that process was ideal, let's just say. But it was very, very interesting. It was an interesting time. And all I can say is that I am thrilled to bits now not to have that responsibility, let's just say, <laughs> and to be doing my own thing instead. So the structure of how you actually build the deal is so incredibly important. So if you're looking to sell your agency at the moment, make sure the way that you have the deal structured is actually going to well suit what you want to be doing next and where you are right now. Jane, your story is incredibly inspiring and it's been such a treat to be able to speak with you. If listeners are interested in getting in touch with you, how can they find you? Well, I have my own podcast, which is called The Smart Connector. You're always very welcome to go over there and and listen to my wonderful guests, including Robert, of course. And also they can visit my website, which is www.janebailey.com. And I'm on LinkedIn most days as well. So feel free to message me there. And thank you so much, Robert. This has been a really, really fun interview. Thank you so much for joining, and I'll make sure to include all of those links in the show notes, everybody. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. Now, chances are, if you're an agency owner listening to this podcast right now, then you may be feeling like this. Because I was finding myself constantly overworked within our business, um, constantly like too busy with fulfillment or too busy with uh, customer service needs. So I didn't have the time to go think about how am I going to close this person or what I'm going to say to this person or what am I going to do with this or what's the next strategy I need to do. Now, of course, this podcast is here to help you with a lot of things. But at one episode per week, it's going to take a while for us to share everything you need specifically for your situation. So if you're really serious about committing to fixing the problems in your agency now so you can build a truly profitable business and get your life back, then I want to invite you to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program. I'm not so stressed during calls.
calls thinking, oh my gosh, I got, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell because if I don't sell, I don't make our, I don't make our numbers, you know, and if I don't make our numbers, I can't pay our people. If I can't pay our people, then our business is down. This program is designed to help creative agency owners get to 1 million in revenue per year in 12 months or less. I char typically charge one client a $3,000, anywhere from 2000 to 3000 Now I'm uh, moving towards only 5000 and up. And my latest client that I closed is a $10,000 client on a monthly retainer. We only accept about 20% of the agencies that apply to this program because we want to make sure that we only work with people who will commit the time, energy, and resources required to take what they learn in the program and use it to create an agency of their dreams. You've taught me and you've taught us how to build this within our company that if X happens, this happens. Boom, 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 boom. Like it's so systematic that it's going to work for itself. That has given me the sense of like, oh, I know what the heck I'm talking about. I know what I'm good at. I know that I can deliver upon what I want to deliver. And it, yeah, I gained hell of a lot of confidence for sure. So if that's you, then I want to invite you to apply today. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply for the Agency Accelerator program or go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash apply. Thanks. And I'll see you inside the program. Mm-hmm.